Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. Well, on today's live stream, and I wasn't sure we were going to actually get this thing uh, off the ground because we were technically challenged, but more about that in a little bit. But uh, we're reconvening the RB3 group here once again. Reef Beef, Reef Bright, and Reef Bum. And uh, so we have the beefers, Ben and Rich, as well as Tulio from Reef Bright. And so uh, I also saw somebody on Instagram refer to the, uh, this meetup as Beef Bright. So that's a... <laughs> What's going Beef Bright. What's going on, fellas? Not much. Not much. In traffic. Yeah, so we got, uh, we got Mr. Ben Johnson there who's actually driving. So, uh, and, uh, and I'm not sure if we're going to be, uh, if, if you're going to be staying connected with us or not, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't be looking at us there, Ben. Keep your eyes on the road, dude. Not moving. <laughs> um, all right. So what's going on here tonight? Um, I, you know what we, so we had this group convened last year and I, I wasn't even sure why we had convened this group, uh, last year. It was kind of like an odd pairing, but it was Tulio's idea. <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of... You get to listening to me, Keith. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I think, you know, we had a lot of fun the last go-around. I was like, why not? Let's let's bring back the uh, this quartet again here to uh, to talk on the live stream. And, um, you know, but in all seriousness, every you know, each, each of these guys here has a very interesting background and perspective, and I think, you know, we have a lot to talk about on a num number of different topics. But... Before uh, we get into it, let me just introduce these guys in case you don't know who they are. Rich Ross has worked in the aquarium industry and trade for many years. He was a Master Aquarius of the Year, has spoken at industry conferences, including MACNA, written articles about the hobby, and has done some groundbreaking research. He also has a coral lab at home, which is really cool. Ben Johnson. Ben is an aquarium maintenance guru who has many types of clients. The name of his company is Captive Aquatic Ecosystems, and it's based in Houston, Texas. Ben has also spoken at Magna and at Aquashella. Both Ben and Rich co-host the Reef Beef podcast on YouTube. And if you haven't, you should definitely check them out. They um, partake in some very informative and entertaining discussions about reef keeping. Tulio, I don't know if Tulio needs an introduction or not, but... Uh, Tulio Delacuia from from Reef Bright is uh, he's a he's also a guru. So we've got two gurus on uh, on this live stream. He's a lighting guru. He's an expert and he's spoken at many industry trade shows about lighting. But before we talk with the guys, wanted to thank the sponsors for the show, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate these companies supporting the show, and I also appreciate all you folks tuning in. There's a lot of you folks out there. Hey, great bearded reef, Paul man. Thank you very much for the uh, for the super chat. First be First beer is on me, he says. Um, yeah, so, you know, as per usual, we like to make this a very interactive discussion. So drop your comments in the chat, your questions in the chat. Love to see those questions. And um, so, you know, given Tulio's uh, expertise with lighting, I, I thought we would lean on that topic during the discussion tonight. But we can certainly get into other stuff if, if um, that's where the, uh, the wind kind of takes us. So, um, but I thought it'd be kind of interesting to start with a, a little ice-breaking question for each of you guys. And I think, Ben, this is going to take you by surprise since uh, we, uh, we just added you to the, uh, to the Skype call. And, um, but I don't know, I thought it would be fun to 
for each one of us to tell a fun fact about ourselves that has nothing to do with reef keeping. And I'll, I'll start. Um, so when I was back in college, I was a caddy. And one time I caddied for Yvonne Lindell, who I believe at that time was the number one tennis player in the world. And um, I drove the golf cart for Yvonne Lindell because the golf club, the country club, did not trust Yvonne to drive that golf cart because I think he had uh, wrecked a few. So that is my little uh, fun fact. And uh, Tulio, you want to go next? Um, I guess non-reef related. Um, well, I'm an amateur radio operator. And uh, I, for example, just the other day, I spoke to a gentleman off of uh, he was in an island off of south of you know south america so uh i speak to people all over the world with with uh this thing called an antenna and a microphone and uh pretty pretty fascinating oh so stuff. is that is that like a ham uh, radio operator is that what you're doing yeah yeah and, wow yeah i didn't know you were still uh, there's still uh, guys doing that yeah i i didn't either but apparently there are because there's this guy in this isolated island somewhere and i was talking to him and uh I, so so yeah it was lots of fun ben fun fact about yourself non-reef related i have uh, two fun facts one fun fact is that i've never done a podcast while stuck in traffic <laughs> which i'm and a second fun fact is i had childhood epilepsy and it went away when I was eight. And then out of high school, I try, tried to join the U.S. Marine Corps. And they were shrinking the military. And it kept me out, though I wanted to be in. So there. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a few fun facts. All right, Rich, man, what, what about you? You got a lot to choose from, I, I would think. Uh, let's, I, uh, before I was a biologist and before I was a stay-at-home dad, I was a juggler. I was a comedy corporate juggler for 15 years. And next Thursday, I'm doing the first show I've done in like six years with uh, with my old partner. So that should be really fun. I haven't done a juggling show in a long time. Looking forward Very to cool. it. Very cool. Very cool. Can we catch any of the uh, juggling uh, on YouTube or is that... Um I don't know. I, I, I will probably set up a camera just for fun because that's easier than it used to be. Uh, but it, this is a fair out in Cloverdale. So it's not uh, I don't think there's any live streaming from okay. Cloverdale. <laughs> I think I still have a clip, Rich, when you did it at Macna with Sanjay. Uh, I think that might have been the last time you guys did an official show. Yeah, I think so. Was that was Vegas, and I did that with yeah. Michael Joe. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, I think that was the last show I've juggled at. Yep, that was awesome. Thank you. All right, all right. So let's uh, let's move on to some reef keeping uh, topics. And so the first topic that I want to start off with is is um, you know really one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you guys all together again to um, to t discuss this. And this is a, an issue that's been um, brought up before on on my live stream and i know others have brought it up in other live streams and maybe others have brought it up in just plain old uh, videos and maybe you guys uh ben and rich have discussed it on reef beef but um so tulio you um you visited both mike paletta at his house and chris meckley at asa aquaculture in florida and you brought your spectrometer right yes um so 
Mike had been having some issues with RTN and STN in his uh, tank with his corals, and, and Chris was also having some issues with, with his corals. I, I think it had more to do with the LPS and his uh, systems not being happy. So, Tulio, my understanding in both cases is that, and, and they were running LEDs under these tanks, is, is that um, you found little to no UV light that penetrated down to the corals. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, <clears throat> the manufacturers, I guess, of these lights, and we're not going to get into the uh, specific uh, lights, I guess, at this point in time, but um, the manufacturer of these lights say that there is UV light, but the test revealed that there was very little UV light that did make it down to the corals. And Mike was wondering, you know, whether the lack of UV light in tanks lit by LEDs is contributing to more pathogens that can cause RTN or STN. And so Mike's solution was to add some halides to his tank to supplement the LEDs. And Chris did the same thing. And um, I know um, Chris's situation turned around after he added some halides. I'm not exactly sure what was going on. If um, if Mike, you know, was able to turn things around or not, maybe you would know that, that Tulio. But um, so Tulio, can you, um, did, can you discuss this? And um, I'd love to get Ben and Rich to uh, to chime in at some point in time. But um, uh, go ahead. This has been this has been a it's been an interesting topic because see, and I've said this to both Chris and I've said this to both Mike Paletta, is that we we have to avoid what I call the absolutes, meaning that Rich, I'll I'll bring you in here. Listen radions which are awesome lights there's no doubt the success that people have had growing corals under radion lights uh there's no questioning uh, uh we have record of this you know over years of everybody from the worldwide corals and the people using the radions we have great progress and even other lights with leds so again it's a matter of perspective meaning that I guess, depending on how we look at it, we could also say that because of the prolonged use of many of these LED systems, have we demonstrated that corals can actually thrive without UV? Okay, because again, many of these corals wouldn't necessarily be exposed to UV in the wild. It depends on the coral, right, Rich? The, the, there's there's so many factors, so 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 we want to avoid that. But here's the interesting thing with Paletta's. Here's the interesting thing with Paletta's system. Uh, is there action? Is there action on the UV side uh, for certain things? I'll, I'll I'll get to that in a moment. But when I was at the biosphere and when I was doing a lot of the other testing, what I think people are going to find interesting is I think it's more the the red and the green wavelengths, which I know is contrary to a lot of people's, you know, let's say beliefs. But I think that it's actually a lot of the red and the green wavelengths that have actually showed, uh, you know, that's where a lot of the benefit, let's say, is is necessarily coming from because the halides that Mike Paletta is running, I know because I sent them to him, those halides are producing again little or no UV. I purposefully control the amount of UV emissions from that fixture. And I told Mike this so that we could rule UV out and that if there was any type of, of difference or whatever, we could most likely contribute that to let's say the longer wavelengths of light and not necessarily the the UV. 
So, um, Rich, you're a biologist and, you know, you've written articles on, you know, a series of articles on, on skeptical uh, reef keeping. What, what are your uh, thoughts on this topic? Do you think that um, there is some plausi plausibility in terms of uh, what, what um, Mike's theory is? That, 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 tell me the theory again. Um, basically, what, what Mike is saying is that, um, you know, the lack of UV is going to, um, the lack of UV light in LEDs is going to help to contribute to more pathogens that could cause RTN and STN. Boy, that's going to be a, that's going to be a hard one to support, I think. There, there, are, there are just too many successful tanks that aren't running UV nowadays anyway. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have to talk about what UV, which UV we're talking about. Well, what, you know, Rich, we're I talking remember, about UV coming out of LEDs. So what, um, you know, what, yeah, but, what, uh, what Mike is saying is that the, the lack of UV that's coming out of the LEDs that's penetrating the corals, you know, is, is that um, something that's allowing more pathogens to um, cause the, uh, you know, the stress among corals? That, that's, that, I think that's a hard one to support. I think there's, there's just too many, I mean, I've, in a couple of systems, I've spawned Acropora under LED. So if and 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 often um, reproduction is one of the hallmarks of success of captive keeping of animals. Um, so it's going to be hard for me to say the lack of whatever lack of UV there is in my in the LEDs I was using or am currently using is is causing any kind of problem. Um, I had. I think before when I was using halides, I had more RTN happening than I do since the switch to LEDs. Um, I haven't had any real, you know, like big RTN events like I used to have every spring uh, in five or six years. Um, you know, so, so it, it's 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 one of those things that sounds like it might make sense, but I think it'd be really hard to support. And then, and the, and the worry for me is we're going to get people throwing UV on top of their tanks again, like they did in 2005 and like they did in 95 and kill all their corals because they really don't get that much UV to start with anyway. So, you know, UV gets attenuated really quickly. So that's why, that's why, that's why I wanted to be so cautious about this. Now I will say this, I will say this. So for example, Rich, Certain certain corals, SPS and otherwise, they spend X amount of hours completely out of the water where they're exposed to direct sunlight. Some do in some, some do. locales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, not yeah. As, it's not as widespread as a lot of people seem to think it is. But th with that caveat, yes. But 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 the the. The theory started with that. Let's say, uh, let's say like an STN, RTN. Let's say like an STN, right? If it's flesh based, if it's flesh based, okay, there was some curiosity of exposure to, uh, let's say, certain wavelengths of UV could be an effective treatment. Could be an effective treatment. Now, here's where things get interesting and rich. It, it, it may have nothing to do with aquariums, but, uh, uh, okay, so remember, Rich, I was explaining how we were working with the penguins and the sea turtles and all these things with these different actions and vitamin D and all these other things. Well, we've also been monitoring asper counts. You're familiar with asper counts and what that means and things like that, right? We actually just got testing back. We're using 
get this rich using UVA and UVB only, no UVC, using UVA and UVB, we have lab certified tests showing that we effectively killed at a 99.9% .9 effective rate uh, H1N1, which is your whatever flu that is, the H1N1, yeah. and yeah. E. coli. So UV, and, and here's where we got to be careful, guys, like Rich said. No, you anyone watching this, you do not want to put UV over your tanks, <laughs> especially unmanaged. And, and so, no, the lights are fine. You don't, you, you know, that's why... I would like to look further into this, but at the same token, I don't want people just putting UV over their tanks because it can be very, very well, bad. So, so Tulio and, and, and Ben, I want to get your thoughts on this too, but, um, you know, so the solution that Mike had was, and I mentioned it, is is to put some halides, you know, over the tank because that will have uh, UV that can penetrate down to the corals. And, and that's also what um, Chris Meckley at ACI did. And, um, you know, so... I don't know. Have you depends on some factors depends on because, again, li li listen, one thing one thing you guys know, I always call it straight. And the thing is, is that if, if it's not the right lamp, if it's not the right glass, there's so many factors where even a halide can produce little or no um, UV. And, and Rich, just to kind of uh, Rich, are you from are you familiar with Fer you must be familiar with Ferguson indexes? Not very, but I, I, I okay, know. You know, you have like what we call a UV index, like yeah. the weather people, you'll see the UV index and things like that. A lot of the measurements that I did were not only done with a spectrometer, but also using uh, meters for like UV index, because I showed that how an LED, you can, you can legally say that it has UVA, but the point is it's not active enough to produce, let's say, a UV index reading uh, X because without the UVB and the other things like that, you only have a small portion of that. And that's where all of that kind of confusion, uh, let's say, comes in. But it's pretty exciting stuff. But it's just my feeling is, is that for the most part, the corals have been fine without the UV. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't think I... I I just don't think there's too much to worry about, I guess is a big deal, uh, you know. Folks, um, thanks, Blue Reef, for the reminder. We got uh, we got close to 110 people watching, only 25 likes. Let's get those likes up, people. Let's get those likes up so more people can find this stream. So, uh, Ben, man, you um, you take care of a lot of tanks. I'm assuming that a lot of those tanks are uh, LED-lit. Have, have any of uh, the tanks that you've seen with the LEDs, um, you know, had any issues with RTN, STN over the long haul? I mean, have you like installed LEDs on a tank that maybe had halides before, different kind of lighting, and then saw something happen with the uh, corals not not loving it? Man, the last time I messed with LEDs, and for years and years I was a double-ended guy and not you mean local halides. base type guy. Do you mean yeah, halides I mean, or LEDs? Long time ago. Halides, right? Not LEDs. Yeah. yeah, metal halide. And but also, Tulio, let me ask you a question. When on LED systems, you know, and they have UV channels, is that is that hardcore UV, or is it one of those things? Where it's not that great. 
It's it it no it's yeah, Rich you got it you got it on the uh, uh, it, no it's not hardcore UV per se I guess it more sounds cool than anything else uh, uh, but no it's not hardcore UV. My my understanding w was something I read and I can't remember where I read it was that the LEDs we use and I'm going to make up numbers because I'm not going to get them right they're like 400 to 410. And uh, UV is smaller than that, um, but but the but the range that we call UV overlaps that a little bit. So again, it comes I, down to what do you mean by UV? And I can't I can't possibly this because I mean it's squirmy when we're just saying words. This and this, you know, sounds great. And hey, I bet you it's this. And I'm just, you know, call me, you know, call, I'm not trying to be negative, but it's just until some decent testing gets done on these on these issues, it's just saying words. Right, Ben. It sounds like you're getting. And also, sounds like you're getting tasered. I'm hearing a tasing <laughs> sound. I don't. Know. That's his dead body. <laughs> Go ahead, Rich. The, the, the corals that are exposed at low tide, it's usually on the king tides or it's right on a fringing reef, um, you know, right at the drop. Um, the, they put out a ton of mucus to protect themselves. So I, I, I would really need to be convinced that any of the sunlight that gets to them actually has any biocidal effect uh, through that mucus. Um, and, and, and for me, that it shows how these things build up, you know, and I'm working on something about algae growth in tanks about this as well. The, we have an idea that makes some kind of sense in our heads. UV, we're missing UV and I'm getting um, RTN. So maybe those are connected. And, and that idea makes some kind of sense. What we often don't get in our hobby is following up to see if it actually makes sense or not. You know, there's a million good ideas in our heads that seem like they should work out, but when you put them into a real into reality, it just doesn't work that way uh, for a for a million different reasons. Um, so, yeah, the 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 exposed corals are not just there baking. The corals are are actually dying. <laughs> They're having a really bad time. They don't want to be exposed, and they have a huge metabolic drain in producing that mucus. Um, to be able to be exposed. And the ones that get exposed regularly um, or more regularly are, um, you know, they don't, they're in a battle zone. They're, they're fighting for their life the whole time, being exposed and not exposed. It's it, it, right in that zone that, that gets exposed is a harsh place to live. And if you're ever out on a wild reef that has that kind of zone and you'll walk it, you'll see immediately what I mean. It's, it's, they they start to die off and they don't look good and they only grow a little bit and as you get a little bit deeper where they stay more submerged all of a sudden they look way healthier. So, I mean, so in a, in a, in a, looking at trees on the mountain, there's like a certain tree zone where you know the tree is there but it's all gnarled and is not an optimum condition for it. Sure. Sure. Um, let me just uh, say thanks to uh, Rogue Aquariums for that super chat. Thank you very much. And also to a, uh, I guess, an anonymous donor, 
Um, the message there is Ben Rich Keith Tulio stay rad smash the like button. I don't know is that Snowman perhaps that's making that. Uh... <laughs> I I, I want to jump on with I think the most important thing about these changes is is what's becoming clearer and clearer to me as time goes on. Our system really complex. There are complex intertwining of different webs and changing anything in that web can have an effect. So, you know, uh, uh, with, with Chris at ACI, and I need to meet Chris, I have not met Chris in person. Um, you know, Chris changes the UV, the, you know, puts halides on it. That changes a lot of things besides just UV. So it, it could have, there could be a million things that are having that effect that you changed when you made that change. Um, and again, well, and, and I, I don't want to be like, no, 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 no. Um, but 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 I think in our hobby we need more more support for what you started saying, Keith, with with ideas that are are like primary ideas. Like Chris we, we need more UV. Yeah, yeah. And in 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 Chris's case from ACI though, there was this black algae, whatever you want to call it, um, that we were able to deal with when he switched it to that. But again, like I said, Rich, my main thing is is this is something we're studying. And I don't want to jump from studying to conclusions because then we can miss all the exciting stuff along the way. Yeah. And also, I'll, I'll say this. When LEDs first came out, even before LEDs, when you had halides, when you were changing to a different halide, you it really sucked. Bad things happened when that happened, unless you were very careful about yep. the switch because it's just different. You've taken yep. a coral that's acclimated to a situation and you've changed it. I used to I used to say the thing I hated most about reef keeping was changing halide bulbs because it was stressful and you needed to and my way of dealing with it was to really change the um to really acclimate them in slowly over like 3 weeks. Um and then changing from LEDs to from halides to LEDs really the only thing that got me to do it is I wiped out my SPS with a caulk overdose mm. and it was like ah now's the time to make the leds are good enough now clearly but now's the time to make the change because i'm not risking everything right. so changing a parameter matters right um tulio I'm, I'm just curious did um have you talked to mike since he added um halides to his uh, led uh lit tank Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, he's only been running them a few hours a day because he was trying to, like, work them into the system. But, you know, the main thing was is, you know, there's been no change in temperature to his system, and he's running three of them. He is running three of them. There's been no change in temperature. They're using about the same power as, as let's say, the equivalent light source. You know, I guess that's one of the interesting things that I was able to derive out of a lot of the testing at not only the biosphere, but even ACI, how we've been able to demonstrate that in terms of actual, what I call relative energy or absolute irradiance, the disparity between the two light sources is is actually not, uh, you know, not what we've been been led to believe. But again, it's not saying that one's better than the other. LEDs, of course, are an awesome tool. They're very convenient to use. Um, you know, so there's that. It's just we don't want to 
I, I hate absolutes and I don't want to take this UV thing and start running wild with it. And before we know it, I got guys with reptile bulbs on their reef <laughs> tanks burning corals. It's, it's happening. And all the um, telling sites. And it'd be all that. Ben's fault. <laughs> J- Jason Langer said that the focusing on the 1% is a bane in this hobby. Many hobbyists chase numbers that may not have any substantial results. I think that's really interesting. Because in a lot of these talks and it, like MACTA talks and in articles, we are talking about the edge. We are talking about the 5% edge of the hobby. You know, this idea that does, can we get numbers that show that UV can make a positive difference for RTN or SEN? That is a flipping wonderful thing to chase. For 98% of people who are keeping corals, it is something they should completely ignore or just like read on the Sunday and go, oh, that's interesting, and put that down and then go back to keeping their tank. This is this is nut stuff. This is nut edge stuff that it's good people are working on, but I don't think we should all ingest it as a hobby change. And I'm not quite sure how to make that not percolate into the rest of the hobby. Right. Hundred people need to concentrate on, and the the rest of people just need to read the articles. Yeah, I mean there 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 are just so many different topics to get into in terms of um, you know how you can just get caught up in the minutia of this hobby, and uh, I think that you know that that's uh, something that we've seen a lot of. I mean, I've seen it over the years in terms of like it's just gotten a lot more complicated. This hobby, there's just so many different products out there, additives, different types of equipment. And uh, there's many, many different ways to run a reef tank, but um, I think sometimes um, you know we kind of get caught up in the uh, in the in the craziness and the hype, and it's just uh, you've got um, you know 20 different balls in the air, and uh, sometimes you're losing sight of of the um, you know the main purpose, which is just to you know keep the eyeballs on the tank and look at the health of your uh, your critters and your animals in the tank, and um, don't keep reacting to a lot of a lot of data and a lot of numbers. Yeah, don't change. If your tank looks good, just, you know, it's my fear with ICP testing as well, um, which let's not get into the weeds on that. But it's, you know, you get, I, you know, I, I, stop it, Richard. <laughs> you, get, you get your ICP, everything's fine, and you send out an ICP test just to check, and it comes up with some parameter that's high. Don't, please don't, please Please don't make major changes to your reef. You know, it's doing fine. I was I was talking to somebody that uh, go ahead. Oh, that's it. Go I, I was talking to somebody that was just absolutely obsessing about alkalinity. I mean, alkalinity is very very important, but um, this hobbyist was just so obsessed with trying to like get in to within point five, you know, DKH points of his target and. Um, I was like, you know, listen, I think that, um, you know, it's great to have a target range, but, um, you know, don't uh, throw everything but the kitchen sink at that uh, issue to try to solve that problem. You know, it, you want to avoid the massive yeah. swings, but if you're off by, you know, one DKH, you know, over a week, don't lose any sleep over it. Well, exactly. and it sounds, like, sounds like a hobby inside of a hobby. You know, it's funny. So... Uh, I was just at also again, a great show. 
Uh, you know, obviously the equipment is is at a completely different scale. But the point is, Rich, you know this because even with Steinhard and all the stuff you've done, is that even the best equipment out there, these probes have variances of plus or minus 3%, even 5%. And that's not even factoring in all of the other possible variables. So that whole 0.5 thing, I hate to say it, guys, is complete BS because when you look at all of the variables, it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, like seven years ago, five years ago, whatever it was, I was using a hobby-grade test kit for alkalinity and testing once a week. I mean, yeah, now granted I'm testing twice a week, but I try to like just um, you know keep my eye on a potential trend if it's going a certain direction. But, um, you know, I think most of us in this hobby have, um, you know, pretty much re leaned on hobby grade test kits for many, many, many years and had a lot of success. So sometimes I think you could really get too into the weeds and go overboard with this stuff. Yeah, I, I don't do much to my tanks. You know, I look at them, I get numbers sometimes, they look pretty good, I'm okay, as long as everything's looking all right. But, but I think the key is the observation of the animals. You know, the other day, I was looking at the tank and I went, what is wrong with that Echinata? Something's not right. And I looked at it and it was pale. And I went, what's not, something's not right. So I pulled out the, the six times glasses and the, and the flashlight. And I go, ah, I bet you it's red bugs on that one piece. Because I've been through that enough times to recognize it now instead of just think the coral is paling out. And it was red bugs. And I dosed it, dosed the tank, and the coral's back. But but there's no reason for me to do anything drastic. The, the problem I think comes is when people don't see something when it's small yeah. and then it grows out. And then, it, then the, by the time they see it, then it's like, now it's an emergency, but it's, but it's not really. So don't go crazy. Just fix it. Don't go insane. And the, the other part that I want to just tap on that Tulio was saying was that there's a million, there's a million parameters in our tank and they're all interlinked. Um, they all affect each other. We don't know how, but they do. So changing one of them could have good good outcome or could have terrible outcome. So, you know, the adage of nothing good happens fast, I think is true. Go slow, look at your animals, have a game plan in your head and make changes based on advice from people whose tanks you respect, not from people you respect. Oh, look, Ben made it home. You know, it Hey, Ben. <laughs> um, so, uh, Zenith uh, Reef Keeping, I hate when people lose their shit for cyano. Then you ask how old their tank is, and they say three months. Yeah, I, I think um, it's um, it, it, it's so true. I think that um, yeah, you know, I got some cyano in my, one of my tanks. I don't care. It's not a big problem to me. I got some bubble algae in another tank. I don't care. I'm not going to like be, um, you know, throwing a whole bunch of chemicals in there to try to like get rid of the bubble algae. I think there's just some pests that are, uh, you know, you can certainly manage and there's other kind of pests that you maybe have to take more drastic uh, action. Um, so guys, let's, let's get back onto another uh, lighting topic. And, and, and this is a, this is also a much debated topic and, and some people feel like it's not even a topic that needs to be debated at, at this point in time. And I'm talking about, you know, the difference between metal halides and LEDs and, um, you know, which ones are the best for growing, um, corals, uh, namely SPS. So, you know, you get a lot of strong opinions out there and, um, you know, there are some really respected folks 
in the industry who do feel that halides have the leg up or the edge on LEDs in terms of uh, growing and coloring up um, SPS. And I think, you know, maybe if not for the heat issue, you might have more people that um, would be sticking with uh, halides or maybe going to halides versus LEDs. I'm not sure I buy the electricity argument in terms of, you know, the reason why you want to switch them, um, you know, halides to LEDs because you're going to save electricity, right, Tuli? I mean, you're pretty much cranking out the same kind of wattage um, no matter what. You know, Sanjay says a photon's a photon, and guess what, guys? A watt is a watt. A 215-watt radion is the same exact thing as a 250-watt halide, let's say. You're talking... 30 watts either way, and, and, you know, watts are watts and photons are photons kind of thing. Hey, well, we got Tulio here. Tulio, so so part of part of my decision to move to LED was, it wasn't the electricity, it was the five-year life of the fixture as opposed to changing my bulbs, my halide bulbs, every eight months or 15 months, depending on how conservative I want to be. And, and dealing with the, the mercury from that and stuff like that, right? Um, I don't actually know how LEDs stack up on that side of, of, of mercury and, and, and basic uh, resources to create them. So, uh, you know, do you have any feel for, is that five-year lifespan on one of the fixtures better or worse for the planet than, you know, changing your bulbs, your LEDs, I mean, your metal highlights six times over the same time period. Right. And, 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 you know, it's a, for example, many of the LED fixtures, they need to be completely replaced. They do need to be complete, you, you know, replaced. Yeah. So there's the whole landfill thing, you know, my, my thing, my thing with halides, my biggest thing with halides is that for the most part, Corals are fine with LEDs, but I am working with animals right now that these mercury vapor sources are the only way to generate the necessary energy levels we need for the welfare of the 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 animals. And that's that was the workshop with also Rich and some of the public aquariums and zoos stuff. So for animal welfare and animal wellness, sea turtles, penguins, we've shown the benefit of mercury vapor sources. So what we've been trying to do is say, hey, if we save energy here, we can offset that carbon you know what I mean? Again, it's not an absolute thing because there still are things that metal halides are excellent options for, including some aquatic animals. We've seen certain sea anemones and other things like that that just respond well, you know, against certain animals. It's not an absolute thing, but 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 there are well-known people that are still running uh, successfully halide systems, you know, with a lot of these animals. Tulio, how Julia. this is this go is, ahead. Go. Somebody else besides me, go, go ahead. Go, Ben. You got I, pizza in your mouth. Talked at all. Ben's like, I'm eating. I don't care. <laughs> no, man. I've been like driving this whole time. Somebody asked uh, whether I'm, Ben's just ended up at somebody's random, like ended up at a random house and somebody just gave him pizza and a beer. Yeah. Oh, the people love yeah. me. <laughs> it's a beefer. I just drove to a beefer's house. <laughs> um and these aren't my kids. No, but so Tulio, you said with the, the halides, like marine mammals and reptiles, but also is that because of the depth? Or you're not even talking about a depth of water thing, even just right. that the like the ultraviolet rays, the simulation 
sun ultraviolet rays is good for like like on a reptile like on the turtle like vitamin d3 synthesis and all scientifically that. scientifically it's actually a term it's called photobiomodulation and that yeah sounds pretty cool right so photobiomodulation and yes there's some of that although interestingly enough at the biosphere and 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 i think i demonstrated or talked about the data on one of the other talks in that when when we took a thousand watt halide and we took the equivalent LED replacement, and it didn't matter what the brand was or anything else like that. Um, interestingly enough, even in terms of PPFD at depth, uh, the halide kind of did eke out the LED a little bit, you know. But these light sources produce light differently. Exactly, we're, we're, we're talking semantics. Where the big differences seem to be, where the big differences seem to be, is the spectral composition. And we will be releasing that data with more tests that we're doing with, with, with Chris from ACI. But Rich, here, here's the interesting thing, because again, guys, you know, Rich, you've known me for a long time. One thing I can confidently say is, I've always called it as I see it, right, Rich? I don't make stuff up. And as long as you've known me, Rich, some 20 years almost, I've been working with LEDs, right? That was my, yeah. that's actually how I came into the industry was LEDs. Yeah. So my point is, why am I still talking about halides? That's the interesting, LEDs are awesome. Again, it's back to, I don't want that absolute thing because once we get rid of, like, let's say T5s are gone, if LEDs are all we have, then we have no other lighting options. It, it, what were you, I'm saying, were you saying something, Ben? No, I you're just eating. Funny, so people would wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up but just flatulating or something. <laughs> and everyone ignored me, which is basically what happens. <laughs> no, you're. Yeah. Why am I still talking about halides? And it's because you have a warehouse full of them. You got to offload them. <laughs> of course, of course, I got to sell their stuff to somebody, right? So, uh, Chris, Chris yeah. at ACI is Mark only have so many. So, uh, Tulio, Chris at uh, ACI is is saying, uh, asking, isn't an LED a mini strobe light? How do we know animals don't react to it differently? Well, that would be for the, actually, that would be for the animal guys. So, for example, there are things like pamphlerometers that I know Dana Riddle is very familiar with. And, in fact, it depends on how the, and, and, and Chris, I love you, by the way, brother. How you doing? Uh, I know where Chris is going with this. And I also demonstrated this at also is that when many LEDs are being dimmed, they're using basically pulse width modulation. And if you viewed it through certain types of cameras, you would absolutely see a strobing effect. And I'm sure we've all witnessed this at one point, trying to take a video with our phones or cameras where the phone was at a certain setting and we've seen, you know, you've seen that whole strobing effect. So there, 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 there is that, you know, and what that effect is, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, but that, you know, so part of the one of the things we have in this hobby is what I call the million monkeys, and 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 that's usually how we get our data in the hobby. Most of our data is from a bunch of people trying it and letting other people know what happened when they tried it, and then some kind of consensus forming, right? 
So I remember um, this, the, the strobing effect of LEDs being something everyone was concerned about in 2006, 2007, when we were all, you know, soldering our own LED systems just for actinic, because Vita twists were a fire hazard with the end caps, right? Um, it, but, and so everyone was worried about that. Um, so many successes with tanks running LEDs, and, and you know, it, it's, it's hard to say that they're causing a problem. Could they be? Sure. The next question is, how much of a problem are they causing? You know, it's like the same thing with when you talk about high phosphate is supposed to make your coral skeletons less dense and make them grow more slowly. How much less dense and how much more slowly? And do you care? Um, if it's not actually hurting the animal, 50% less growth and 50% less dense skeleton is not going to matter for the, the whole, the, the bulk, the 90%, 95% of hobbyists. It's just, it's not. So uh, I, I have a, um, a question for you guys. And, and um, so I'm, I'm like a, an old school metal halide guy that I've always been advocating metal halides. And a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever it was, I, I, I put LEDs on a, uh, a reef tank for the first time ever. And I've been getting some great results with those. I'm using the, uh, the GHL Mitra's lights on my, uh, my peninsula tank. Ben's outside again. And, um, so wait for my kid. Ah, it's got to hide the body. <laughs> <laughs> I picked up the dead body from the highway. That's, uh, that's, that's good. Cover your tracks. Um, so, but I've been really having very good success with the LEDs on this peninsula tank. So I'm running two different systems. I got one system with the LEDs and I got another system, both SPS dominant with the middle halides and the T5s. And I think I'm getting better growth at this point on my LED um, tank. And But I think there's a couple of reasons why. And I want to get everybody's input in terms of what you think about this. But uh, one is the PAR on the LED lit tank is higher than it is on my um, halide lit tank. And the other reason is, is that the pH is tends to run a little bit higher on the uh, LED tank versus the halide tank. So um, does that make sense? Would that be two good reasons why I'm potentially seeing better growth in the LED lit tank versus the halide tank? You know, and, and does pH, is pH more of a driver than we think? I've gone first too much. What's that? I've gone first too much. Oh, okay. I'm waiting. I don't want to be a hog. <laughs> Since I've barely talked, let me put just a little thing in here before Tulio goes off on, on a multi-chapter. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying, I guess my little piece is sometimes I wonder, um, obviously we all want growth in our reef tanks, but I wonder sometimes it's like we aimlessly strive for growth. Now, if you're Chris Meckley at ACI, well, yeah, you're selling corals. You want growth. That's your, that's what you're doing. You push you push all the levers forward for growth. As a hobbyist, I'm not saying don't worry about growth. But I'm like, you know, it's just a question. Why the hell are we so obsessed about growth at home? Yeah, and, and you talk to people who have been in it more than 10 years. They're like, slow my growth down. I'll be so happy. 
Yeah. Julio. I'm worried guess, about operation and health and all that. I guess you answered Keith's question. Next. So, so Tulio, how, how important is PAR in the, uh, the whole equation? It, it, here's the thing. The, the, the pH and all of that. And by the way, there is a light pH correlation. I believe I talked about that in one of my talks. But, you know, it's not so, for example, how many hours a day you're running the halides versus the LEDs. We have daily light integrals. So, for example, it, it, it's like an energy constant. So it's not just, hey, I'm using halides in this tank and LEDs on this tank. And because the PAR is higher here, because chances are you're using a shorter photo period on the halides, I would assume. You might only be running those six or eight hours a day. The LEDs, you may be possibly running those 12 hours a day. So you could actually have a different daily light integral. There's so many other factors. It's not just halide or, or let's say LED. Uh, because, again, even Chris Meckley can, can tell you when we were at ACI measuring PPFD, depending on the light source and so many other factors, we were seeing uh, the opposite in some cases. I mean, no, uh, why not use, like on, a, like on a tall exhibit, why not use halide and LED together and have, have LED be, you know, the actinic and do the ramp up and ramp down and have halide be you know, the strong stretch of four to six hours, whatever. I believe. I, yeah, that's, go ahead, Rich. That's what I did with my tank at home for years. You know, at first it was literally, you know, the, the they stopped making the Vita twist. So it was literally actinic fluorescence. Um, and I remember getting, you know, the ice cap end caps, the waterproof end caps and putting them together in the front and, you know, make dreading the day when I was next going to come home to that smell of them burning because um, it was only a matter of time. Um, and then that switch to, you know, the, I think the first LED strips I used were yours, Tulio. Um, yep. And they were a great replacement for that. Um, but Keith, what did your pH change by? So on the uh, on the LED tank, that pH is like ranging from 8.3 to 8.5. Okay, and and on the uh, the halide tank, it's maybe like eight one to uh, eight three, sometimes eight four. Not that big of a difference, but um, you know, I mean, a point uh, two pH points, I guess, is pretty significant if you're if you. That's that's a lot. It's it's not a linear scale, so two pH right. points is a lot. Yeah. But you're still in the range, and you know, it's hard to say if it matters. You know, so th this is what I've been telling people lately. You know. Look, if, if you are growing coral as a business, you want to maximize everything that's supposed to help is generally what I would say. You want your pH to be up. You, you, you want to do the lights in the way that you think are going to accelerate your growth. You, you want to do all those things. You want to make your, your pH, your light, your, you want to make sure your phosphates are lower and your nitrates. You don't want to take any chances, right? But if you're not doing that, it just doesn't seem to make much of a difference to most people. Um, you know, you know, you can what, grow corals fine at seven point nine pH. You can grow corals fine at eight point one, and then again, the, all those things are interrelated. They all work off each other. You need, you know, you need your alkalinity and your pH and your calcium to be in that balance that only Craig Bingman understands. Um, 
You know, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy balance that's not easy to get and not easy to keep. So, yeah, I could see higher pH making a difference. Um, but then again, I want to know what the difference is. They look better, sure. They grow faster. How much? You know, is as Ben likes to say, is the juice worth the squeeze? And I think that's a lot of what we need. What the, I think that's what a lot of hobbyists need to bear in mind when they go crazy about I want to up my pH and I'm going to spend five hundred dollars on a on a CO2 scrubber and dedicate myself to the work that that scrubber is going to take. It's like, is it worth it for you to get that? You know, what are you doing that it matters that much? Is, you know, you know. I, I don't know why I think this way, but a lot of times I think in metaphors, but it's like it, it, it's like this whole industry is doing things with cars. And some of us are drag racing. Some of us are going to the grocery store. You know, so this lady going to the grocery store is like, do I need a nitrous bottle to go to the grocery store? <laughs> no, you don't need a freaking nitrous bottle. You know, do I need a pickup truck to go to my friend's house down the street? You know. I'm just thinking of this whole hobby like this. Like, you can't say that, you know, the the guy that's trying to push growth and he's obsessed with pH, and then a hobbyist reads that and they're like, oh my god, do I need to be obsessed with pH? I mean, you need to keep it up, but you don't need to. You don't need to push all those levers as far forward as possible, because you stop and ask yourself, what the hell are you driving yourself crazy yeah. with? So, uh, Chris is. It's funny. Go ahead, Rich. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, Chris is Chris say- is disagreeing with you, Ben. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's fight. <laughs> Let's the, hear it, Chris. The, the, he'll type out why he's disagreeing. I think he's only disagreeing with you to be to because because he wants your pizza. I um, love. You're gonna have to pry it out of my belly. <laughs> <laughs> you can wait a couple hours. What you guys are just talking about is I'm thinking about the pH issue. And I always tell, I've always generally told people, don't worry about pH. And now that's coming around and people are like, no, Rich, you should worry about the pH. And the problem in that conversation is the generality about it. The reason I say don't worry about pH is because most of the time it doesn't matter. And it's and unless you can fix it by bubbling outside air into your tank, it can be really hard to 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 upkeep pH. You you if you start running call you know and and generally we're talking to people who are a couple of years in the hobby hmm. and I and I balk at those people running caulkwasser into their tanks because it's so easy to kill your tank with caulkwasser. So you know in, in, if you don't have a compelling reason to want to jack your pH up and it's going to cost you time and money and energy, don't do it. If like me, I moved into the house, I want to maximize that. My crawl space is under the house where my sump is. It was trivially nothing to run an air pump that I have laying around to bubble outside air right into the sump. If it's that easy, go for it. Absolutely. If it's not that easy, slow down and think about if it actually matters to what you're doing. Chris is actually booing you. Um, he says, uh, oh, you need to get Rich and I on, Keith. <laughs> Awesome. No, they need to get boxing gloves. <laughs> get in a celebrity. Awesome. Death. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears slightly here. And uh, would, go ahead, Rich. I would bet you that Chris and I agree agree on much more um, 
And I think a conversation, that's why I want to meet him. I want to have one a conversation like this with him. Um, because I think I think I think we we miss each other and where we're disagreeing more than we do when we agree. Yeah, you but it's fun to disagree, so he's all excited. Oh, oh he he will probably smack me. <laughs> Uh, I'll be as Chris Rock to his Will Smith. <laughs> you better get alopecia real quick. Hey, that's too far, Ben. I was making a joke about the men, not about a medical condition. I live too far. <laughs> All right, so um, let, let's let's switch gears a little bit here. And uh, this is still, I guess, kind of related to, uh, to lighting. And... Um, Ben and Rich, you guys talked about this on one of your uh, Reef Beef uh, podcasts, and, the, and this, this is about the tendency of some coral vendors to oversaturate their pictures to help sell corals. So um, I'm going to show a um, a picture of a uh, of a frag, and I'm not going to name where this uh, frag um, was. You know who, who was selling this uh, frag? You can see the egg crate is blue, right? So Ben Johnson. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's that's the first thing that kind of stands out in terms of that oversaturation and that, that you know, is that really what a, um, you know, that frag is going to look like in somebody's tank when, um, you know, they hit it with more full spectrum lighting? Uh, you know, so that's one thing. And and the other thing here is this is like um, a multifaceted topic here in terms of this picture because, I don't know, I'm counting about 12 to 15 polyps on this thing. I think the frag appears to be about a half an inch tall and this thing was originally listed for a thousand dollars and it was on sale for eight hundred dollars what what is going on here there's just so much to talk about here and and uh you know i, I think um you know you guys certainly had a great discussion about it on your Beef podcast but what the heck man what is uh what is happening to this hobby you know i just recently did this this is like um a multi um i recently did this so i uh, so a client contacted me and i'm not going to name names because again i don't want to drag anyone through the mud and for all i know this is a person that watches this program but so I, I, one of my clients like hey i saw in a magazine in a hobbyist magazine so that narrows it down there because there's not very many but he's like i saw this real cool zoanthid and so i was like i looked at the picture and it's a super uh, i don't know if it was in the magazine or just the digital version of the magazine and it was like an ad for these zoanthids that were crazy color. And I was like, man, I don't know. I sort of doubt they look like that. And he's like, you know, a super rich customer. He's like, go ahead and get them, you know, and I'll get them. So I ordered four of them and they just look, they look nothing like the picture. Of course, my client paid for them and, you know, I recouped the money, but I broke even. But it, it was like, you know, the picture for them was deep blue like navy deep blue and they came in is they came in barely blue and i don't know i don't know what happened okay and that you know and i told the seller and he was you know apologetic and yeah i know how that feels too you know your pride gets stung but i don't know what happened i don't really believe that they changed color in transit <laughs> and they certainly didn't look like the picture i mean this stuff even happens to me you know, it's it's just um, I don't know. I, I, hundred dollars a piece, hundred dollars a polyp. How is that? Uh, I mean, that's a zoantha, right? So I, I guess a zoantha is going to be a lot hardier than an SPS, right? But if if you if you have that small of a frag with an SPS and you got ten or fifteen polyps in that SPS, I mean, what are the chances of that thing is actually going to grow into a uh, 
you know, a one inch frag by, uh, you know, within a, within a year or two. I mean, it's, it's just crazy to me and just in, in terms of the, uh, the, the representation and the, um, the prices, I think things have just gotten quite out of hand on, on a number of fronts and it's, um, it's a problem. You know, I think a lot of people say that, um, you know, some of the newer people that are coming into the hobby just don't know any better. And, um, and maybe that's true, but I think there's, um, you know, also veteran reef keepers that uh, might get caught up in this stuff. It's, it's tough. It's difficult. It, it really is. I guess, you know, I'm not on the coral side of things, but there's any number of reasons, one, why the corals would look different. Um, I mean, I've always laughed about this for years. People will go to a, even if it's a pet store and buy a coral and bring it home and put it in their tank and then wonder why after a few days the coral looks different. And it's like, well, did you look at the lighting they were using at the pet store? Did you consider, you know, what the coral was kept under, some of these other things? And then on the other side of it, what, what what's also, I, I guess I question is, you know, you see people spending $100 a polyp or $800 or $1,000 on a coral and then they're 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 trying to cut corners on critical equipment like pumps and other equipment like that. And it's like, oh, I'll use that twenty dollar Chinese pump to keep you know my ten thousand dollars worth of corals alive. It just doesn't make sense. I to to a picture like what you're showing us. My response is I don't have macro eyes. <laughs> so. So, you know, I don't, and, and I started saying that when people started taking pictures like that 10, 12 years ago when somebody at reefs.org wrote a thing about, about the problem with digital cameras and cameras in general, that the images are, none of the images coming out of our cameras are natural. You know, they're just not. That's not how cameras work. Um, but I, I'm rarely looking at my tank from right <laughs> here, you know. I'm usually sitting back here. Um so that's and, and you know tiny frags you know i some people dig them i guess the challenge of growing them out i i, I i'm a little worried that they've become the de facto for too many people uh you don't have to get little frags like that you can get bigger pieces of different corals and i also think you should be buying coral that you like not coral that other people seem to think is important so rich you said something that um i thought was very interesting on, on one of your um Reef Beef uh, podcast, and that is uh, create a trade organization that um, vendors can be a part of and essentially, you know, have a stamp that says that they're not lying or being, uh, you know, they're not misrepresenting the animals that they're selling. Yeah, well, we've been in need of a trade organization for since since the last one died, in my opinion. Uh, and it's just going to be hard to make happen. I, there's a few people working on it now very hard. There's an, a group called the Aquarium Trade AquariumTrade.org um, that's following up on some of this LACIAC stuff and it's trying to get some some motion going in that area. That's really hard. A lot of people in our trade don't want it to happen. Um, and it's because of the interconnectivity of vendors in the trade, it is very hard to say, hey, that's a bad player. Um, they're doing things in a bad way. Uh, it's just very that the reality is it's just hard to do that. Um, so a trade organization uh, I, I think is critical to the survival of the hobby long term uh, because because right now we can't defend ourselves. We just get smacked from the outside and then react. Um, and and P, uh, the pet advocacy network can only do so much. Um, 
So I, I don't know if that's going to happen, um, but I think it would be great. Uh, Chris asks, who is part of that organization? It's not really off the ground, Chris, but if you want to know more, I will uh, send you a message somehow. So I'm just um, <clears throat> looking at a couple of more of the, uh, the comments here. Um, all right. So an, an, another thing I want to do um, to talk to you guys about is something that um, and I'm just kind of bouncing around here a little bit. And folks, if you uh, if you have any other uh, questions, please uh, drop them in the, uh, the chat. We'll uh, we'll try to get to them. But um, one thing that um, a lot of people do to combat problematic algae is do a three to five day tank blackout right and um so and then the, the theory is that the corals can survive that because in the wild there are storms right and uh there could be no light from the sun for a few days and in, in the uh on our natural reefs and corals are kind of used to that sort of thing but I don't know. It seems like a lot of people do these uh, these blackouts. I I did uh, I did a couple a, a number of years ago, and and um, you know everything. I think I lost a clam and I lost a couple of uh, frags, but you know things just didn't look great. You know after that three full day um, blackout. I, I I'm curious, Rich, what you uh, have to to say about uh, that sort of practice in terms of blacking out a tank to try to rid it of a uh, an algae issue. Is it is it yeah, worth it? I it depends on the algae. I've done it for dinos and cyano, neither of which are algae, but uh, people tend to keep those lumped in the same kind of area. Um, you can have problems, you know, and it depends on your system. Um, I, I've done it a few times where it seemed like there was some issue. Uh, you know, the corals looked a little unhappy after the, I usually do five days, mm. um, which is a long time. Um, and I did it recently on two of my tanks for five days and not even a blip. The cyano went away in both of them. It came back in one of them in about a week uh, or two weeks um, and is now gone again because I've done various different things. So I, I think I and I also don't totally black them out. You know, I don't put uh, it's not like what we think is going on with coral spawning when any uh, light pollution will ruin everything. Um, you know, they need enough light. The two pests I talked about need enough light to grow. Having room light on in there is not doesn't seem to give them enough of anything anyway. So you can kind of keep track on what's going on. Also, it makes it easier to feed the tank during that time. Um, you know, don't be scared to turn on the lights for a few minutes to check on everything. Um, but I, I've seen the blackout be really effective. Um, I, you know, if your tank is shaky, well, you know, I say that my my system's 20 years old, right? Um, it's pretty established. On, on a on a six month old tank, I don't know what's going to be happening if you block out the light. Uh, you know, if the corals are going to be able to deal with it or not. Ben, is that something you do uh, every so often? <laughs> Hell no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. No. I mean, I was listening to you, and I, the bunch of different things were going through my head. One thing was like. You know, if you've got a problem to bring on that sort of algae and you like, you know, just black the tank out, like who say that it doesn't come right back. But then I stopped myself and I was thinking like, well, what if you bought, I mean, cause it's as crazy as this. What if you bought some new corals and it's just some freaking spores, you know, on the plug and that's all you did. I mean, your aquarium was running fine. It's just, you brought some dino 
spores on a plug and then all of a sudden you're plagued with it. So it's not really, it's not necessarily something you caused or created of bad maintenance or bad equipment or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's something that you could, could employ. Um, I just worry about stressing the corals more. The, sort of a 30,000 foot view here of what's crazy is think about that, that uh, dinoflagellates and back, photosynthetic bacteria and algae have been on the planet far longer than corals. And so that's the problem I have sometimes in my head with like, you think like, oh, I'm gonna do this to this algae. Dude, algae has been fighting this battle for way longer than corals have. So like limiting nutrients and, oh, I'm gonna limit nitrate and phosphates and I'm gonna take care of my algae problem. Dude, nitrate will bring, I mean, uh, algaes can go way down further, you, you'll kill your corals before you'll kill the algae. And, and I just, you know, all these things to like try to combat algaes by making an adverse condition for corals. You know, algae play this game. Algae will laugh at you. <laughs> algae doesn't suck at life. Coral sucks at life. Yeah. Those are, uh, those are some interesting thoughts. Um, all right. Here's another question for you guys. Um, and, and again, folks, if you have any questions you want to drop in the chat, go for it. I'm just bouncing around here. Um, let's look out into the future. I want to get, um, you know, each of your, uh, guys opinion in terms of, um, you know, five years from now, what do you think we're going to be seeing in terms of, uh, the future of the hobby? Any, uh, any predictions? Ben. Um, this is, uh, I don't have any hard information or anything like that, but, um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> I think he knows what's coming. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, so here's a serious one. I sort of think, and this is just in my head, unformed. I don't have any hard information that no one else has, but it's like all this aquabiomic stuff and, and stuff with understanding the better strains of bacteria and the bad strains of bacteria and understanding that better and then making that stuff, making aquabiomic stuff like actionable seems like it could be a big part of the puzzle because we just say beneficial bacteria but i don't you know i barely know what that means they're like oh you had some you had sort of like gut health like like your gut health you know like they're they medical sciences is, is like that's a hot spot right now of them studying like the good bacteria that are in your in your gut your bacteria proliferate so i mean understanding the bad strains of bacteria that could grow in your reef tank and then having something actionable to do something about that. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing where, um, you know, we've talked about this before on the stream, but, um, and a lot of people are dosing bacteria, including myself. And, um, you know, is there any hard information behind whether or not that actually is necessary? Yeah. I mean, it might be sketchy at this point, but then five years from now when we've defined and refined that situation it might be a game changer i mean i don't know like you you know we'd have, would have know the specific strains for like i mean we sort of do that now even though i think a lot of it is marketing bullshit but like oh you have a dino problem we'll put this other dino flagellate in the tank that outcompetes these bad dinos or you know stuff like that you could then we you then we'd really piss off richard because then you'd really be doing magic in a bottle <laughs> But but if we could uncover that magic, and get get the Wizard of Oz out from behind that you know <laughs> screen, 
Pay no attention to this man. <laughs> you know, if we cover that and, and pull the mystery out of it, and it's like, oh, you have too many organics. Well, these couple strains of of beneficial bacteria, you know, and like I said, I think we already sort of do that. It's just that no one's really defining that super well. I think, yeah, it's still early with that. So I, I think, I think all indications are that that will become a really useful tool and hopefully sooner than later. But besides that, see, that's another reason to have a, uh, have a trade organization, Rich, right? Because, you know, you've got companies uh, out there that are are trying to, um, you know, fill that void in terms of bacteria testing and, and, you know, is there any checks and balances in terms of the methodology that's being employed for that? Is there any checks and balances for other companies out there that, um, you know, have products that, um, you know, they might not be forthcoming in terms of what kind of ingredients are in the bottle, you know, is that another reason to have a trade organization? Absolutely. I mean, to throw up in my mouth a little bit because some of the stuff that happens in our industry, you get marketing people just being like, oh, cool, that's a thing we can make money on. And that's a that's the part that I'm not that I'm not in love with. Right. I mean, you know, but how do you know, like, you know, all the ICP testing out there, how do you know, you know, one company versus another, if, if uh, that one company is legit versus another company? I mean, it's just like the Wild West. Throw your darts. It's, it, it, it's, it's, that's a hard one. That's really harsh. Um, and when you, when you send two, two ICP tests of the same water to the same place, you get different results. And so which one is actionable? Um yeah. Uh, and I think I don't know. I, I think the um, the aquabiome stuff, the, the microbiome stuff, is gonna, like I said, is gonna end up being really, really useful. And I think it's just starting to be useful. And the question is gonna be, the next question is gonna be, you know, how do you, when everyone is dosing their tanks with Cipro or whatever, <laughs> is that which is a thing? Yeah. Is that ethical? What's the way to get rid of that water? How was that done? You know, and if we can barely keep people, you know, uh, um, doing things on the up and up now, um, when we're, you know, when we're when we're throwing um, antibiotics all over the place, that could be an issue as well. So I, I think we need best product, pra- best practices built around that, and um, it would be great to have an organization that's you know, putting forward the best, the best practices. And I, I used to, be, um, my, my prior life in the working world, I, I worked in the media business and, um, you know, I used to, um, you know, we used to, to, um, help clients understand the TV ratings and all that sort of thing. I was on the, um, the marketing research side and there was a trade organization called the media ratings council. And there was a lot of different yeah. um, companies out there that, um, can measure audiences that consume different types of media and this media ratings council was a an independent third party and they did audits and they accredited all these different rating companies in terms of their methodologies and uh you know it would be great to see something similar in the um in the reef keeping world cost money nielsen rating type stuff some some sort of governing body to help accredit the um you know what what companies are doing in terms of their their methods and and testing and that sort of thing, I think would certainly be helpful. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's a money thing, and that's um, that's a tough thing to uh, that's a tough nut to crack, I would think. I, I I think as the hobby gets squeezed more from the outside, 
um, the utility of such an organization may become apparent to people it's not apparent to now. Uh, but I think in five years, I think five years is probably, you know, how everything comes in cycles, right? So coxillary is a thing again now, and metal highlights are a thing again now. I think we're going to see people peeing in their tank again in five years. I think that's <laughs> going to come back. I, I just want to point well, out. No, who no, did that? But hear me out. Hear me. Everyone did that. <laughs> but hear me out. In 2014 or whenever I gave that talk about phosphate, and I talked about the reason that, that nitrate used to be the devil because we could test for it and we felt like we could do something about it. In 2003, when GFO came out for our industry, we could test for phosphate and all of a sudden we felt like we could do something about it. So phosphate became the devil. So that's what I was talking about then. And I said, watch, I will bet you within 10 years, we're gonna see people dosing nitrate and phosphate. And got a big laugh because it seemed like the stupidest thing to say. And here it is. It's it, it, and so mark my words, urine in your tank. It's gonna be the thing. I've that's spent what, my that's what, that's what we're gonna sell, Ben. Well, I spent my whole career trying to reduce nitrate and phosphate, and then some oh wait, this isn't reef beef. I was about to cuss. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> you you already have. Yeah, it's already ha it's already <laughs> happened. Me, I gotta add it back. Are you, so you guys are going to be selling a reef beef pea? Is that what uh, we're, we're hearing? We're already selling it, buddy. <laughs> Man, I've been saying, me and Sanjay have been talking for years, and I just talked with Raj about setting up a website for it, that if we were unscrupulous, if we didn't care, we could make Water so much money in this hobby. Um, you know, we could just sell inoculant from proven tanks. I, I hate to even say that out loud because someone's probably going to do it and beat me to it. Yeah. Um, but we're we're probably going to start and a. That's uh, why you, a company. And that's why you contacted Raj to orchestrate this. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're going to start. We're going to. The company is called. It could work, or it might work. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know. It might work. You should buy it, and we'll see how much we sell. This this coming from Raj, the guy that owns a bottle of ranch dressing at a Magna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tulia, what do you think's gonna? What are you gonna see in five years? I like we're that. Yeah, eliminating our tanks with candlelight. What did you say? Yeah, we're gonna be eliminating our tanks with candlelight. That's gonna be the next big craze. I'm telling you, invest in candles. I got five candles, bro. No, no, no. You need eight candles per gallon. Right. Eight? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love Canada. A new rule. Skylights are going to come back, too. Yeah. All right. So, Tulio, in all seriousness, and don't say urine, what are you, uh, what are you, what are you thinking in five years? <laughs> you know, honestly, I think in five years we're going to be talking about the same crap we're talking <laughs> about right now. You know what? We're going to be lucky if we're talking about the same crap because we might be talking about remember when we used to keep saltwater aquariums. Yeah, and remember when, when, when Rich used to pee in his tank? Yeah. Used to. And we're all, we're all going to be in the insurance business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sell life insurance policies. <laughs> all right, uh, guys, do you have any uh, anything else we want to talk about here tonight? I know um, I've been asking a lot of you guys there. Uh, ben was like... Uh, 
basically i didn't even know we were able to get get ben on the uh the stream tonight because it was crazy I was in traffic most of the time he was he was whipping driving through traffic and whatnot and um we couldn't we couldn't connect with him on skype i mean i i thought it was hopeless and then some somehow uh we we uh, were able to like make the magic happen but it was baby jesus made that happen <laughs> I know Rich is uh, Rich is out on the uh, the East Coast and uh, Tulio is doing his thing down in Florida. But guys, anything else we want to uh, talk before we uh, sign off tonight? Ask the uh, ask the audience. Yeah, any any yeah. There Richard, ask Richard. And besides there, besides whatever anything else that they got to, um, uh, I really enjoy these conversations. This feels like this feels like being at a convention. It's really fun. So thank you for hosting these, Keith. Well. Yes, thank you, Keith. I, I want to thank you guys for uh, reconvening. It's always a lot of fun uh, chatting with you guys, and and I always learn a lot. And uh, I think we have a lot of fun doing it too. So, um, yeah, this is all this is all good. Um, all right, so guys, uh, you want to plug uh, Reef Beef? No. no? <laughs> Just go. Reef Snowman's beef. not going to like to hear that. If you're, you know, I don't give a crap. He's fired. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like the Primus sucks kind of advertising. You know what? We know the show is not for everybody. If if you don't want to hear bad words and you don't want to hear about the socio political side of reef keeping from time to time, don't don't listen to our podcast. Oh, didn't you? It's not for you. Edge of y'all aren't gonna like it. So I just say go go. Uh, don't look at the first few because. It's like that's some raw material <laughs> as if our later stuff isn't all that raw. But look at one of our later, you know, our later episodes. And if you can hang for the first five minutes, then that's OK. So you guys have already uh, you guys surpassed the 1000 subscribers. Weren't you guys going to do something uh, after you hit that 1000 mark? There's... I'm supposed to wear a spandex onesie. That's about 1700. We did something for a thousand. I don't remember what it was, but we did you it. Did did a show under your crawl space in your well, John Wayne I, I did a show. crawl space. I did a show from the crawl space. Yeah. And then uh, something else is supposed to happen at 15 and 17 and we something wore, weird. We wore capes. We wore capes. That's right. I don't know if we're like slowly <laughs> eased into like jackass territory. Like at 2,000 subscribers, I'm going to hit my balls with a ball <laughs> peen. No. See, anything for viewers. <laughs> oh my God! No. Uh, thank you, Keith. We love doing the show. We love doing it on the terms that we think are useful, um, and we love doing it in a way that makes us feel like we're not just doing yet another reef show. It's it's got something. We're covering stuff besides covering reef stuff. We're covering the part of the reefing world that we also think is important. So. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for letting us pimp ourselves. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Reef beef sure. sucks. Sorry, sorry if we embarrass you. See this hat? See this hat? Gotta Reef gotta beef. gotta represent. <laughs> there we go. Tulio, what about you, My, man? Uh, Reef Bright, what's what's uh, what's the deal? You know, listen, don't buy our lights. They suck. Okay, <laughs> they really do. You do not want to buy our lights. They totally can, suck. But, can but I, I do run? want to thank you. Yeah. I, Truly, I do want to thank you, Keith, for 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 having having me on. It, it's always fun getting on with with Ben and Rich, and and you know, just just shooting the stuff. I want to say something unsolicited. I just uh, in in the last three months, I set up three. I, I guess I would say, just just like a more simple reef tanks. 
And all three of them that I did Reef Bright uh, XHO strips, yeah, one of them had three of them on it. One of them had four of them on it. And I shit you not, those things are far brighter than I thought they would be. Not that I don't have experience with XHOs, but putting like four of them above oh, a, yeah. like a five-foot tank. <laughs> you, can put, you can put electrical tape on them and it'll make them less bright. There yeah. you go. <laughs> I'll cover up every third one. Uh, thanks to Chris at ACA Aquaculture for the uh, for the super chat. There is a uh, there, there's a yes, little yes, anim Chris, there's a little animation of it looks like a dinosaur in an office chair with flames coming out of it. So I don't know exactly where that came from, but thanks, dude. <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Listen, thank you again so much for uh, for coming on the live stream. It was a lot of fun, and and uh, I think we uh, we all got a lot out of it. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to thank the uh, the sponsors, both uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine, for uh, supporting the show, and offer uh, also for you folks out there tuning in and and uh, participating via the uh, the chat as well as the uh, super chats. Thank you so much. And finally, a big thank you to Paul, who uh, was the moderator once again. So I also want to remind you that um, all episodes of Wrapping with Reef Bum are also available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. My next live stream will be on Thursday, April 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Jim Graham, also known as Telegram on Instagram and YouTube. He was on before. Should be another great show. I think we're going to talk about um, some uh, some gadgets, including the uh, GHL Ion Director, which he has. And uh, I'm keeping my um, just can't wait to get my hands on one. Anyway, the uh, full upcoming schedule of guests you can check that out. Check that out on reefbum.com under the YouTube section. So until then, everybody out there, be safe and be well, and we will see you next time. Radios. Right.